You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. It's such a wonderful truth to proclaim in that song. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Timothy is where we're going to be this morning. You can see on the screen that we're going to be uh, starting in verse 12 in a moment. 1 Timothy uh, and continue to work our way through the book series as we're going through all the books of the Bible. And, and we are, we're getting close, but man, I'm still enjoying uh, going through all these different books and hope you are as well. If you're uh, newer here, uh, in the back, we have some kind of like a one sheet that's kind of a rundown of the different books as we're making our way through the Bible. And so if you haven't been getting those, I'd love for you to grab one of those sheets that has some kind of background information on the book itself. Again, uh, today, 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's always funny to me, I think you can probably resonate with this too. You ever have those experiences where someone really talks something up and then when you experience it yourself, you're kind of like, eh. Like, I feel like this happens often, uh, probably in any city, but certainly experience it in Lubbock where a new restaurant comes to town. It's one of those where like, they got the police out there directing traffic because I remember when Brahms came to Milwaukee and I'm like, how many police cars does it take to direct traffic for Brahms? Like these people love some Brahms. Um, but it's always funny that there's this hoop, hoopla of, of excitement over the new restaurant. And then sometimes you go, and maybe it's because the staff hasn't got everything figured out, but then you go and you're expecting something amazing. You're just kind of like, eh, like it, it was okay. You ever had that experience? You kind of wonder like, what, what was all the hype about? Or maybe someone... Uh, they, they get a new boyfriend, they get a new girlfriend, and they're telling you how amazing they are, how wonderful they are, and you meet them, and you're like, you don't tell your friend this, but you, you go back home, and you tell, whether it's your spouse or your, uh, your roommates, you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. Like, I'm not seeing what they see in this person. Um, or maybe sometimes a new movie comes out, or a book, and your friend's like, you gotta go see this movie, you gotta read this book, and then when you get there and you experience it, it's just, you're not like sensing the excitement and the amazement that they did. I think sometimes, if we're honest, we may feel that way about the gospel. When I say the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that maybe you, you've grown up in church and, and for sure you, you are a Christian, you've trusted Jesus, but maybe you've kind of lost that excitement and people, you see people raising their hands in worship, not that that's the definition of excitement and amazement, but like you see people, um, you know, they're posting on Instagram how great Jesus is or whatever. And you're like, man, I'm just not, I'm not seeing that amazement. I don't sense that wonder in my life. Or maybe you're not a Christian and you're here this morning because somebody's been telling you how amazing Jesus is. And you're like, I, I'm just not sure I'm there yet. I'm not sure I, I can get on board for it being as amazing as they say it is. In, in this book, Paul is giving Timothy instructions for the church, as Timothy's a new pastor and he's helping him know what he should do as a pastor and what it should look like. And one of the things that he tells Timothy and one of the kind of focuses you could say is for Timothy to cling to the gospel, to keep preaching the truth. And he even tells him in chapter one, um, verse three, he says, teach people not to teach false doctrine. Like stay the course, stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then even in uh, chapter one, verse 18, he talks about fighting the good fight. So stay the course, cling to the gospel, don't waver. And what's cool is right in the middle of this, and really the beginning of the book, in, in verses 12 through 17 of chapter one, Paul inserts, if 
what could seem like a random thing, but he inserts his own personal story, his own testimony. Why does he do that? I don't think Paul's just like doing what I do sometimes when I'm preaching and just rabbit trail, you just get distracted. I think the Holy Spirit inspired Paul. No, not think. I know he inspired Paul to include this for a reason. Just looking at the text, it would seem that what Paul, or yeah, what Paul's doing is he's giving Timothy evidence of how truly amazing the gospel is. He's giving Timothy evidence of how life-changing, life-altering, world-transforming the gospel is. So he's giving it to him as evidence, as a kind of a firm foundation of Timothy. Look at what the gospel has done in my life. Look at how amazing it is. So don't waver from it. Continue to preach it. Continue to cling to the gospel. And he says, here's my story. So I think the question we could kind of frame this text in this morning is, what is it about the gospel that's so amazing? Why is the gospel of Jesus Christ so amazing? Some of you, you as I say that, ask that question, you're, you're so focused on Jesus right now and pumped up about it, about him, that you're just like, of course it's amazing. But there's probably a lot of us in this room that as I ask that question, you're like, yeah, what is so amazing about it? We're gonna read through this passage and then see three things that Paul tells us in his story that really jump off the page of why it is so incredible. So if you would join with me in verse 12. He says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What is so amazing about the gospel? The first thing that jumps off the page, and this, it's kind of a long statement here. I've got it on the screen for you. It is, the gospel is amazing because it proclaims that my wretchedness is the very thing that qualifies me to receive God's mercy. My very wretchedness, my sinfulness, the evil messed up Brandon, that, that thing about me that I wanna hide the sinfulness, the wretchedness in me is the very thing that qualifies me to receive God's mercy. Why is that a good thing? Because you're a sinner <laughs> and I'm a sinner. So the fact that that's what qualifies me to receive God's mercy, I should rejoice in that. I love what he says in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And this is it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the very reason Jesus left heaven's throne and came to this earth to down a cross was because I'm a sinner. That's why he came, because I'm a broken, sinful human being. 
Back up to verse 13 says, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. So he says, I was living my life ignorant to the fact that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I didn't believe, I was in unbelief. Think, look how cool this is. He says, I received mercy. What is mercy, by the way? You can talk to me, it's okay. Forgiveness? Forgiveness? I would say includes love. I think but simple, well, I'll talk about grace in a second. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. So like I, we had a, it's all good now. We had an AC problem yesterday at our house and had to rip out some carpet in the closet because the floor was soaked and anyways. But I saw uh, some friends out in the yard, Jackson and Ryan Bailey, and uh, we were joking and I was like, man, that's not how I wanted to spend my Saturday. Gosh, like ripping up carpet and putting fans everywhere to try to dry it out. And Ryan said, um, well, it could be worse. I was like, thanks, bro, that's not helpful. I was like, he was like, is that in the Bible? I was like, I don't think it is, maybe. And, he, and Ryan said, I know what's in the Bible is you deserve worse. And I was like, you should go home, Ryan. <laughs> but, but that's true, I deserve worse. Mercy is not giving me what I deserve. I deserve hef, hef, sorry. Shake off the rust, shake off the rust. Death, hell, and condemnation. That's what I deserve, right? I deserve much worse than just a leaky AC and getting my carpet wet. God's mercy is not giving me what I actually deserve. So he says, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. He's not promoting sin like, listen, if you just get really bad and live ignorantly of God, then you get mercy. No, he's saying, again, Jesus came for sinners, Matthew 9. Something that the, uh, the well, the righteous that need a doctor, it's the sick, the unrighteous that need a doctor. That's why he came. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm broken, I'm sinful, Apart from Jesus, before he saved me, I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And Paul's saying, because of that, because Jesus came for my ignorance and unbelief, I receive his mercy. My very wretchedness is the very thing that qualifies me to receive the mercy of God. I love what he says in the beginning of verse 13. Even though, so even though I was, used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, killing Christians, an arrogant man, even though Jesus saved me. He extended his mercy to me. He doesn't, or maybe you could say he held back what I do deserve, hell and death and condemnation, and he gave me mercy and love. God, seeing your sinfulness, didn't get, ew, gross, and run away. No, he moved toward the mess. Thinking with some friends recently about the, the difference in uh, Christianity and other religions. And obviously, I, I believe there, there's archaeological, historical, logical evidence that makes me plant my feet in the gospel of Jesus Christ versus other religions. But even beyond that, I would say the gospel, this, this statement right here, is, or this is part of the gospel, I guess you could say is one of the most attractive and compelling pieces or aspects of Christianity that there is. 
No other religion has this. Every other religion, you just better hope, like in Islam, you better hope you're good enough. If you do everything just right, maybe, just maybe, Allah will, will let you into heaven. Why would I want to be part of that? You could say, well, you're predisposed to that. You grew up in the South. You didn't grow up in a, in a foreign country where Islam is a major religion. Totally agree with that. But still, even I've been to India where there are a lot of Muslims and even converted Muslims to Christianity. And they would say, why would I live for a God like that who even when I die, I won't know if I've done enough versus a God like this who knows I couldn't do enough so came to die for me. That's way more attractive, right? Way more attractive, way more compelling. I think the picture here is often we, we try to hide and, and um, cover up our brokenness, our sinfulness. We kind of like try to stand in front of it and like Jesus can't see it. You know, hide it behind our backs. I, nope, nothing, nothing to see here. And what the gospel proclaims, and I think even what this passage is telling us as Paul is sharing his story, even though I used to be this, a terrible sinner, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What he's teaching us is that Jesus is actually saying, hey, why don't, you, why don't you give me that brokenness? The very thing that the entire world and every system of religion would tell you to hide behind your back because yes, it separates you from me. Jesus is saying, I came to die for that. So why don't you, why don't you pull that out from behind your back and give that to me? There's hope. There is forgiveness because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You may be sitting out there and you're like, okay, Brandon, but you, you, you don't know my story. You don't know how just, how wretched I am. I think if, if that's you this morning, Jesus, in a loving way, would wanna grab hold of you and shake you a little bit and say, I'm afraid you don't know my story. <laughs> that I left heaven's throne to come and be beaten and have my beard pulled out and spat upon and ridiculed and beat over and over and over till my flesh became a pope and I was nailed to a cross because of your sin. You wanna talk about a mess of a life. Jesus made a mess of a life long before you made a mess of yours so he could save you. Don't tell Jesus that his mercy is not enough for your story. If that's what you're feeling, I'm afraid you don't know his story. What's so good about the gospel? It proclaims that my wretchedness is the very thing that qualifies me to receive the mercy of God. That's good, <laughs> that's good. If you're thinking, man, that, that's pretty cool. I would say, you're right, that's pretty cool, but, but there's more. <laughs> this next thing we're gonna see as we read the text, I think it's one of the most refreshing descriptions of the gospel. I'm gonna start in verse 13 again. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What's so amazing about the gospel? Here's the second thing I think we need to see from Paul's story. It proclaims that God's grace overflows into a joyful mess. It proclaims that God's grace overflows in the joyful mess. Man, I love that word, the grace, that verse. The grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we'd unpack the word grace. So mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. You see the difference there? Both, both equally important and both equally amazing. But grace is God giving you the things I haven't earned, I haven't deserved. That's why 
Ephesians says this, by grace we've been saved. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve a right relationship with God, but through his grace, God gives it to us. You can't earn it. You couldn't keep it. You couldn't prove something to God for him to give it to you. He gives it to you in his grace. He gives you, when you turn to Jesus for salvation, he turns you, excuse me, he gives you hope. He gives you new life, brings you from death to life, gives you forgiveness, gives you eternal life with him, gives you salvation, gives you a new purpose. He showers you with grace. And he says, along with it, the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he says, as God, as the Lord, when he saved me, he overflowed me with his grace. And in that overflow, with that overflow, he says, came the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So giving me the ability to begin to trust God. So apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I can't trust God. I can't live by faith. So when Jesus saves me, now he overflows me with faith, it says, so I can trust him, begin to live a life that is pleasing to him because the righteous shall live by faith. There you go, yeah. And the love. So Paul's saying before Jesus, I was not a man of love. I did not have love overflowing in me and therefore overflowing through me. But when Jesus showered me with his grace, faith and love came with it. And now love overflows in my life. You may be saying, Brandon, I see the statement on the screen there in a joyful mess. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about the word mess. And I've said, that's maybe fair. But the reason I think it's okay and actually appropriate and accurate is he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed. When something overflows, it gets a little messy, right? Any parents speak to that, right? Yeah, when something overflows, it it can be messy. But can can a mess be a joyful, intentional, and appropriate thing? Oh yeah, oh yeah. One of my favorite messes is, this doesn't happen very often. Maybe it's happened once in my life. If anybody's listening that works at Jay's Creamery, just listen to this. Have you ever gone to Jay's and they like go to give you your concrete and they're like, hey, we just got a little excited back there, a little generous, some of the ice cream, some of the, I like dirt and worms, I'm kind of like a little kid, there's the worms and the sprinkles on there, right? And we got a little carried away and it's just kind of overflowing. You know what I don't do? How dare you? <laughs> no, I'm like, Thank you, <laughs> right? right? Even if you're like counting macros and all that stuff, you're like, chick, right? I'm gonna eat this. This is a good thing. I grew up, Lauren and I grew up in North Florida where they do, it's, it's very much like South Georgia, um, uh, South Alabama kind of culture. And so we do low country boils, which we have, we all do that here too. And even uh, the catch does that. My, my friend, uh, Mr. Jim knows about low country boil, but you've got some shrimp and potatoes and corn. Um, and what am I forgetting here? Sausage, maybe some, uh, what's the other, crawfish. Yeah, I can't do quite do crawfish. I'm not legit, okay? <laughs> but one of my favorite things was, I remember sometimes uh, at birthday parties growing up, especially the more country the family was, they would do this. But we would have a low country boil for the birthday party and we would eat outside. And when the food was ready, they put newspaper down all over like a picnic table, or whatever. And just what they do, dump it on there. And that mess is awesome. Because it's a good thing. We're not like, ew, gross, get us a napkin. You're like, let's, let's eat, right? Roll up your sleeves, let's go, because it's a good thing. That's the picture of God's grace here. Mess, a mess can be an intentional thing and a good thing. God is saying, I'm so much full of love and you're receiving grace because the penalty for your sin was paid on the cross of Jesus that I'm gonna overflow you with grace and love 
and faith. Again, to refer to a statement I made about the last point, you could say it in this way. Jesus made a bloody mess of his life so he could give you a grace-filled mess, a joy-filled mess extended to you through the cross of Jesus. And I kind of already gave you a picture here, but because I think we struggle with grace and its boundaries, I want to give you one more um, picture. Before we put the picture up, Adam, I, I, I'll give you a little background. So I'll be quick. Um, last summer, Lauren and I were visiting family and friends back in, in Florida, and we took, there's a little, I say little, it's pretty big, um, water park in, in Jekyll Island, Georgia, which is South Georgia, just north of Jacksonville. And we took the kids there, they, at that time they were two and a half, and took them for their first water park experience. We'd done the tech pool, which is surprisingly pretty awesome, but um, we went to a real water park. And uh, well, what is it called? What is this place called at Jekyll? Summer Waves, thank you. Um, Summer Waves has a pretty big kids area. You know what I mean? So like most water parks have the big slides and stuff. They have a small kid area. They had a massive kiddie area, which is, which is appropriate for toddlers. Well, we took Carolina Tate and Haddon over there and Carolina Tate loved it, but Haddon lived it. <laughs> he, they, they had, it was all, it was this massive, like the whole kid area was in this little like, um, pool that was probably about this deep. There were fountains everywhere. There were slides. They had those massive buckets that would fill up with water and just kind of dump over randomly. Um, they had little guns you could shoot. And I'm telling you, we could have, we could have left Haddon and he would not have cared. Like what was so funny is at first, because the, the massive buckets were kind of dumping randomly, at first he was kind of caught off guard, but then he was overcome with joy at the idea that no matter where he went, he was going to get splashed. Like I actually have a picture um, of him coming down the slide. Like, just, just, lo- there was lots of that. Just, I don't know, he doesn't do this anymore. He went through a phase where he would get so overcome with excitement, he would just shake, right? Like, and, and that's kind of what, that's kind of what this was. And thanks, Adam. Yeah, um, and when I, when I was studying this passage, that's, um, that's just the picture that I, that resonated within me. That of Jesus inviting me to delight in grace like hadn't delighted in that pool. <laughs> that it's overflowing. That you, as, what's the old, uh, not old, but the Crowder song say, if his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. <laughs> That's the picture of God's grace. And you may say, well, won't that understanding of grace just lead me to sin? Like if God's grace is so abundant and overflowing and everywhere I go, I can't get away from it. Won't that lead me to sin more? I, actually, totally disagree with that way of thought. I think the reason Paul was so bold and so passionate about the gospel and lived such a free life for Jesus, such a pure life for Jesus, is because he was overwhelmed with the grace of Jesus. And he had experienced it so much that the idea of turning to sin for satisfaction maybe seemed funny to him. We know Paul was tempted as well, but when you're overwhelmed with the grace of Jesus, sin kind of loses its taste. You You begin to gain an appetite for the things of God. What's so amazing about the gospel? It proclaims that God's grace overflows in a joyful mess. And that's why Paul couldn't help but share his story. And speaking of that, we've got one more thing we wanna see here in the text about why the gospel is so amazing. Look at verse 16 with me. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, 
the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the third thing I want you to see. What's so amazing about the gospel, it proclaims that God gives a so that to every story he writes. God saving you, God overflowing you with grace is not just about you. His intention, his purpose is that his grace, his love would overflow to you so it can overflow through you, right? That's why he says, like I, if you want to do what I did, I underlined for this reason. And then I circled so that. He's making it clear so we can't miss it. He saved me. He redeemed me from my sin. He showered me with mercy and grace so that Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So he wants me to be an example of what he can do in someone's life. By the way, I got to touch on this. Is Paul, when he says the worst, that he's the worst of the sinners, is he just being dramatic? I'm the worst, I'm so terrible. Or is he, is he lying? He's like, you know, they're, they're scri- they're, uh, the scribes are writing the letter and Paul's like, of whom I am the worst. No, I don't think Paul's lying. I think there's an idea here in scripture, Isaiah would tell you this, I think, that the, the more your understanding and view of God and his glory and his grace increases, that your understanding of your sinfulness increases. Not so that you're like, oh, I'm such a wretch, but you realize, wow, I'm a sinner and Jesus saved me. So it actually turns, it, it works to actually make you love Jesus and glorify him even more. So Paul's saying, man, I'm I'm a broken mess, but Jesus saved me. He's worked in me so I can be an example to other people of his grace and mercy and love. God gives us so that to every story he writes. Makes me think of an artist, a sculptor. They, they, They do their work and they, it would be, insane, ludicrous, for them to finish a painting or finish a sculpture, a sculpture, and they want to hide it in their house. Like, I don't want anybody to see it, or they lock it in a closet so people that come over to the house can't see it. No, they, they, want, to, they want it to be on display so others can see their work. That's what, that's what God does. He, he works in you, and he wants to put you on display so others can be drawn to his mercy and grace and goodness. How, how silly, this is a ridiculous thought, but like, can you imagine uh, a sculptor is going to push the sculpture he just created out into the open where the public can see and take in to view his amazing work? And could you imagine that sculpture pushing back? No, don't, don't push me out there. I don't want to be seen. I don't want people to see what you can do. But isn't that what we do so often? God gives us so that to us, so that he wants the world to see Jesus in us and what he's done in us. But so often we kind of push back on Jesus and say, I don't, I'm not really ready to share my story because, because I'm not sure I can go out and let people see what you've done in my life or they can see the bad things in me. And Jesus is saying, no, I saved you so that you could be an example to others so I can draw others to myself. What is the application here? I think from this, from this particular point, share your story. Jesus has given you a so that, and that is to share your story, which is really his story of what he has done in and through you. And you may say, 
Man, I'm not sure I'm ready to share my story. I'm not sure I'm ready to talk to others about Jesus. Man, in verse 12, he says, who has strengthened me? I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me. And then he goes on to talk about the ministry he'd been given. Whatever your soul that is, I promise you, Jesus will strengthen you for it. Man, I, need, I know I need to be a light at work. I need to be a light to my family, on my campus. I'm not sure I'm ready. Jesus says, I will strengthen you for it. Whatever your soul that is, he will strengthen you. Maybe you say, Brandon, well, if I share my story, man, I'm not a blasphemer. I wasn't a persecutor, but I've got like, I've got kind of a stanky past. I'm not sure I'm ready to share my story. I'm not sure I'm ready to, to put it out there. It's interesting. Sharing our story and even the kind of stanky part, <laughs> stinky, I keep saying stanky, same thing, <laughs> is actually what is so winsome and, and it shines light on God's goodness and glory. I'm not saying we, we should magnify and glorify our sin like Lion King, that sucker, like, nah, champagne, y'all, like, look at my sin. Like, no. Again, he says, the focus is not to him, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Like, the focus is on God, but we should be an open book about our brokenness because, it, again, it just shines light on how good God is. John Chrysostom, he was an early church father in thinking about this passage, um, he said, it's almost, as Paul is say, it's almost as if Paul is saying this, let the life of your servant be openly exposed so that the loving kindness of the Lord might be all the more apparent and comfort those who are in despair. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? That when you hear somebody share their story and they're real about their struggles, they don't glorify them, but they're real about them. It actually points you not to them, but to the goodness and grace of Jesus. And it's actually kind of winsome. Share your story. Don't hide the stinky parts. <laughs> Maybe one last objection you may have to this, that he gives us so that, and isn't that kind of selfish if he's just trying to draw people to himself? Not at all. God is the most satisfying, fulfilling, life-giving being, person on this, or in this universe so actually, it's loving for him when he says, hey, I'm gonna work in your life so that people see my work in your life and it's gonna draw them to me. He's actually just being loving and kind, right? Like it would not, it's not mean if I'm like, Carolina Tate, I'm gonna give you some ice cream. I want you to go, go tell Haddon where you got the ice cream because I wanna give him some ice cream too. That's not mean. That's awesome, right? That's kind of the, the picture here is God saying, I, I'm a good, gracious, merciful God. I'm gonna work in you so others can see that in you and they can come get some grace and some mercy as well. God gives us so that to every story he writes. That's what's so awesome about the gospel. God overflows his grace on us into a joyful mess. That's what, awesome, that's what is so awesome about the gospel. And God sees our wretchedness and says, you know what? That's why I came. I came to give you mercy. I came because you're broken in need of a savior. That is what is so awesome about the gospel. The gospel is incredible. What is your perspective of the gospel? I'm gonna close with two pictures. Adam, if you'll put up the first picture. There's a picture of a pool, if you're not sure. <laughs> a lot of us, this is our understanding of the gospel. What, some, some of you as Christians, you've kind of reverted to this understanding of the gospel. And some of you, you're not a Christian because you just see the gospel, you see Christianity as this pool, as 
okay, like God has some love and some grace, but it's not that deep, it's not that wide, could get bored pretty easily. And, and your picture of the gospel is this, I can jump into it and out of it when I wish, it's just kind of there for me when I please. The second picture is a more accurate portrayal of the gospel. That is his grace, his mercy is unending. You, if tossed into this, you're not gonna find the bottom, right? And if you do, you're dead, so don't try that. Like, you're not gonna find the bottom. You can't reach the edges. His grace is beyond compare. When you understand the gospel like this, you are overwhelmed with it. Right? The pull one, that's cool, whatever. This, I, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't get enough of it. And of course, I wanna tell others about it because it's overwhelming to me. Some of you have, are not inclined to share your story because you've never met Jesus. Your, your story is simply and only the first picture, the pool. Like that's, that's all your idea of the gospel is this moralistic idea of Jesus. So maybe you've been kind of swimming around and you feel like you're a Christian because you've been doing Christian type things. But the reality is you've never been thrown into the fullness of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you don't really have a story of his grace because you don't know it. You've never been entered into it. So this morning, the call, the, the invitation to you is to turn to Jesus for salvation, to quit swimming around trying to earn your salvation and realize that, no, he came because you're a broken sinner. He came because you can't earn it. And the only way to, to be thrown into his grace and his love is to simply give up swimming and say, Jesus, I trust you. If you're not gonna catch me, I'm gonna drown because I'm fully trusting and relying on your grace and your mercy. And when you do that, he takes you from the little swimming pool and throws you in his grace. And like we said earlier, this grace is an ocean. We're all sinking and it's awesome. <laughs> he invites you to that this morning. And I, I, I feel pretty confident there are people in this room who you've had this religious idea of Jesus and you need to turn from that and turn to Jesus this morning to a true understanding of the gospel. For a lot of us as Christians, we have what Paul David Tripp calls gospel amnesia. So we, amnesia, so we, we easily forget the gospel. We, we kind of move on from it. And I wanna invite you to, to come back to the gospel, to remember how amazing it is, to dive into his word, to drench yourself with the gospel, to know it, to enjoy it, and to share it. Know the story, enjoy the story, share the story. There's gonna be some people down front here in a minute as we sing a song, and they're just here to pray with you. Maybe you something's bothering you, something's on your heart, they would love to pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you wanna to talk to them about what it means to, to know Jesus, to go from kind of swimming in the pool of morality and actually be tossed into salvation, his grace and love in the ocean. They would love to talk with you about what that looks like, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. Or maybe you just wanna to come to the altar and just kneel, don't even wanna to talk to somebody and just say, Jesus, would you open my eyes to your goodness and your grace and how amazing the gospel is? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond. Jesus, thank you so much for truly how amazing the gospel is. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to respond right now to, to what you're leading us to do. If that's to salvation, if that's just to kind of refocusing on the gospel, if that's to committing to, to sharing our story and your goodness or whatever it is, would you give us boldness? God, help us to, to study scripture, to know the story. God, to like hiding in that water park to enjoy the story, God, to, to revel in your goodness and your grace. And Lord, to share it, that you would open our eyes to those opportunities, that we would be overflowing with your grace and love so it can overflow to others. Lord, even as we sing this song, even if we decide to stay in where we're at, would you just stir our hearts 
with joy for your goodness towards us through the cross of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, to you be all the glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 